We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded Welcome back to another episode of The Lore brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. And as always, joined by my co-host... John Ellis. John, what's up, man? Hey, Billy. Happy Monday to you, and uh, glad to be with you again, although I wish it was under better circumstances as uh, Carolina once again put together a a really concerning performance on both sides of the football when we thought things were looking like they were turning in a certain direction, and boy, there's a lot to get to here. Glad to be back with you, though. Yeah, for sure. I sort of expected this performance on Sunday. Um, now I understand the Bengals without Jamar Chase. They might be a different team, but, um, you know, I did expect them to kind of not necessarily lay down the way they did, and I'm not trying to single out anyone. I just think Cincinnati is a very tough team to play. And I've been seeing some things from a schematic perspective on defense that worries me. And we'll get into that in a second here, but I wasn't too shocked that they... Um, had the performance that they did and we'll get into the reasons why uh, first off offensively um, not a good performance uh, from PJ Walker he came back down to earth um, I am glad that they are giving him the start on Sunday or excuse me Thursday against the Falcons I think he deserves an opportunity to redeem himself I don't think one poor half uh, against the offending AFC champions should be an indictment um, we just have to let this process play out. And like I've said repeatedly, you know, let's just take everything, be very patient. The data samples we're working with are small. Uh, but overall, just a, a rough go at it for P.J. Walker. And again, I don't want to uh, single him out uh, compared to the other guys on the team, but um, it, it wasn't pretty. And unfortunately, they had a 35 nothing deficit. Mayfield came in and you know, racked up some decent yardage. 
uh, and production in the second half, but I didn't really see anything that impressed me to the point where you have to play him in the future. Uh, and I've, I was speaking to a few of my uh, friends on Bengals Twitter, and they were just saying things like, you know, Mayfield always plays really well against the Browns, so this isn't really surprising. Yeah. Um, but just overall, your performances on your your thoughts on the performance of PJ Walker in the offense. Uh, you know, I just got done looking at the tape from this one. Uh, th- there's there's not much to say, Billy. I mean, they they came out extremely flat on both sides of the football. Of course, this game starts with with just a textbook drive by Cincinnati. They take the ball from the ten yard line. Okay, from the kickoff. They go nine plays, 90 yards, and uh, they give up the touchdown. Carolina does. It's just a textbook Zach Taylor type of drive with Joe Burrow orchestrating and Joe Mixon running. And more on that later. But the way Carolina responds here, uh, three plays, punt. Three plays, punt. Three plays, punt. (laughs) You're catching a theme here. Hey, two plays and an interception, so we mix it up a little bit. Four plays, two plays, uh, two interceptions, by the way, in the first half, and then a fumble at the very end with a kickoff. I mean, they, the average number of plays they ran offensively, Billy, in their first nine drives, 3.1 plays per drive. Historically bad stuff. The first half w- was just an abomination offensively. Walker could not operate. Uh, I, I don't think the offensive line w- was terrible, but again, yeah. the, the play calling... Uh, it is what it is. You're not targeting more. Part of that's on the quarterback, I'm sure. Um, you'd like to see just a, a little bit less, you know, low percentage stuff there for Walker. But look, when you're off schedule and it's becoming apparent real quick that you're not in your element, which is balance, which is getting yourself the you know the, the foreman runs you need to stay in second and medium or, you know, some screen concept. It just – it was – it was bad. I mean, I could sit here all day and, and really break it down for you. Bad offense, bad quarterbacking, blocking the, you know, again, didn't stand out to me as something terrible. I thought Aquanu actually played pretty well again. but um, He graded out really well on PFF. Yeah, I mean, the tape looks like it. I mean, again, in some of the longer drops that, that he had in terms of the quarterbacks, he did just fine. But Carolina, that might have been the worst offensive half of football. Uh, worst half in general, but but especially on the offensive side that I've seen here and that's it's at least top five worst it just <laughs> total incompetence there's a one play where Walker throws the interception um to he's targeting Trimble I think sort of down the hash and I don't know if Walker thought that that was an offsides flag and he had a free shot but he throws it right into the linebacker's chest um and I'm still going through all the tape here but that was the first half glance of what I looked at bad 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 Nothing good, no responses. But again, the tone was set on that first drive by Cincinnati, and that's really bad by Carolina's defense. Just I, I know that's the defending AFC champs. They have a lot of weapons. Their offensive line can be a sieve, but Burrow's tough, man. And and hello, Joe Mixon. He's been quiet all year. <laughs> he got his gut oh, right. I have he thoughts got about it, the defense. He got his. Don't, I, worry. I, don't worry, I do too. But I, I think the defense was really the the way they started this game set the tone. And and you know what. Shame on them for doing it that way. They, they need to be better than that. They can't come out and allow a five-play drive, 90 yards, with five first-down conversions. That's terrible. Definitely. And we'll get to the defense, don't worry. And I have a lot of thoughts about that. And as it pertains to Steve Wilkes and what he's doing, because two other coaches were fired today, 
And I, I, I personally think the defense is a an issue of um, greater concern than it's than what's letting be on. Uh, but let me just finish up offensively because yep. John, this is something that it's the slow starts are a problem, even under the Wilkes regime, um, because it was a problem in that Tampa game when they won because they didn't score a touchdown until like the two minute drive there. Yep. They started off slow. They had multiple three and outs. Same thing in Atlanta. Get fortunate with the Mariota interception. Didn't do much with it. But again, another slow start in that game. Obviously, you had the slow start in Los Angeles. I mean, you had a good dr- first drive where McCaffrey was, uh, you know, essentially a dress rehearsal for trade candidates uh, where he just went off. And then outside of that, the offense was pitiful. The consistency on a down and down basis of this offense is an issue. There's too many three and outs. Uh, they're not doing well on early downs to putting them in position to uh, convert third downs. They shouldn't even be putting them in, themselves in a position on third down. You have to do really well on first and second down, like the Bengals. Uh, I mean, that's an offense that you can kind of look to replicate. I know a lot of people have issues with Zach Taylor, and those are definitely fair. Yeah. Uh, but t- to me, that's the sort of mindset you should be taking is uh, – you know, have success on first and second down. Uh, and they just didn't. And I don't think you can summarize it better. This was definitely one of the worst offensive halves I've ever seen. I think, um, I mean, we saw a few of them last year, uh, the Miami game, Joe Brady's last game that was up there, but that, I don't yeah. think that had anything to do with um, that. That, had, In my opinion, that had more to do with personnel limitations as opposed to any type of uh, schematic issues. Uh, for me, this game was just a result of, um, you know, the quarterback playing very poorly and a schematic issue that has been on display for her nine weeks now. So, yeah. uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I mean, we're just going to take it. They, uh, I think they will rebound, though. I do think they will rebound. I think they will have a better game against the Falcons on Thursday night, short week. And that, it's a... Uh, a very good spot for them uh, in in the simple respect that uh, you can forget about this performance very quickly because you have a game in four days uh, against a team that you took down to the wire a couple weeks ago. So, and I expect them to play well on Thursday night and potentially even win. Uh, so we'll get to that at the end. Um, but yeah, it, it was tough. And again, the Bengals uh, a few weeks ago, they did the same thing to the Falcons where they just like boat raced them early and it kind of put the game away yeah. uh, really quickly. Uh, so credit to them. They're a good team. Uh, they're going to be even a better team when Jamar Chase comes back. Um, uh, but I'm ready to switch defense. Uh, before we get to the performance on that side of the ball, uh, there was some news uh, that dropped this morning. Paul Pascaloni and Evan Cooper were fired or dismissed from Steve Wilkes' coaching staff. Yep. Um, Evan Cooper, you know, we've mentioned him a few times mm. here. He seemed to have a pretty uh, big role uh, under the Matt Rule administration. Huge role. Uh, Huge role. Uh, seems like, you know, he was obviously the defensive backs coach, but uh, the, he also had a lot of input into the player evaluation process as well. Um, I think a lot of these coaches were going to see the boot at the end of the year regardless. So I don't have an issue with, you know, if he wants to move on from players, that's his own prerogative. I, don't, I didn't, my issue is more, I just question what the schematic, um, what they're trying to do schematically on defense. I just question it. And the reason I do is this. 
they everyone was praising them against the Bucks, us included. But as we know now, John, that Tampa Bay offense is, has is arguably one of the worst offenses in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we've seen it now for I mean the entire season. That offense is. Uh, has just lost a lot of its flavor. They're not a good offense right now. I, I understand you have Brady and the weapons, um, but they have their own issues. So to me, that performance was an anomaly in that respect. But if I'm going back even to the Rams game, the Rams are also not a good offense, and they had a lot of success against you. Yeah, I mean, they put up 24 points, which is one of their highest point totals of the year. Yep. The Falcons. Mariota was had one of his better games of the season. Three hundred yard game. And then this week. Yeah. And this was just I don't understand why they are they approached this game the way they did. The personnel on defense, John, is suited for a Phil Snow scheme. And I understand Wilkes, he wants to do what he has to do, and that's fine. But like when you're firing coaches midseason and Again, I understand the relationship between Phil Snow and Matt Rule, and maybe it just wouldn't have worked. I totally get it. But still, you have to just – I'm not – I really think you should have just continued playing that style of defense because those players are very accustomed to it. And when you're starting to change things up midseason, it's it's not going to work out for anyone, especially the players. Now, I have certain players that I'm going to uh, – earmark and call out and we'll get to that in a second here but to me it's just it's the same thing over and over with this defense now where you had the good game against tampa and they deserve credit for it but overall that bucks offense is reeling right now so i don't give you that much credit for it do it against a good offense and i don't know man it's the inability to stop the run the corners playing way off coverage against T Higgins. Oh my God. There are other weapons. I mean, these, are first, like, these, are, these are first, these are high value corners. These aren't slap exactly. dicks. Exactly. These aren't slap I mean, dicks. Over, they got, this is your first, your first round pick you passed up on for Justin Fields. And this is another guy from a first round that you traded another player for. So, I mean, again, to your point, I mean, I'll look at the, I'll go specific here. Not, not necessarily in terms of the front, but in terms of what Cincinnati did was able to do exploit something early on third and two okay so this is the first drive for joe burrow and the Bengals to open the game and this is what good offense looks like you go 11 personnel condensed formation everybody's inside the numbers carolina's in cover one man so you've got taylor on the boundary there at you know in the near side and you've got horn up top and and you end up with a mesh concept they run boyd on a jet, and he runs sort of a just kind of sort of a quick sail route, and you've got a mesh where honestly Burrow is, does a great job manipulating the pocket, just great footwork. But Taylor is locked up on it looks like sixteen running the mesh, and then Hurst, the tight end, is locked up on Hartsfield. And I'm telling you, whoever sixteen is, I got to get his number. He he was gone for a touchdown if Burrow had seen him because Taylor's five yards behind him on the mesh. Again, it was just bad communication. Bad execution. That's just one small example. But yeah, I agree with you overall. There there needs to be a, an effort here to simplify and get back to what was working under snow. And I know that, you know, Al and Steve, they, they've got to do things the way they got to do them. And a lot of this is execution. A lot of it's they were getting beat up in the trenches too. Credit Cincinnati for that. But I, I'm just seeing way too many lapses in coverage. And, and when they're playing tight man in this game, Burrow is just so good. 
he's able to back shoulder some of these things. And again, the, the concepts that Taylor ran manipulated the man coverage. And then, man, how many times were they playing off in this game? It's like, it just, just, it's just red carpet treatment. Come and get it. Come get your eight yards. Um, and we can talk individually about some players because there were a few guys that just did not measure up. And they, they were flat. They were getting pushed around in the run game. The angles were bad. Uh, but that one play just comes. That, that, could, that was a third and two. You can get them off the field right there. But they just mess you to death with man coverage. And, and you're going to stick down and cover one against Joe Burrow and, and rush what you're rushing. You better damn well get home or interrupt the passing lane. And they didn't either. And you've got two guys on the mesh that are wide open. It's just basic football that really comes down to execution. And, and these corners aren't playing well enough to execute that. Yeah, I, I mean, C.J. Henderson had a really rough game. Uh, yep. I, I don't think it's even close. I think he was probably the worst performer on defense. And um, and and I think he had a good performance against the Falcons, so we're seeing a little bit of inconsistency with him. Um, but, but to me, the issue is let's kind of calm down with this man coverage against the Bengals. I mean, this is an offense where – you saw some of the issues that they have. It's a lot of too high coverages, a lot of, um, you know, playing some cover two and make, make forcing Burrow to check it down. And again, Burrow n- n- didn't even necessarily have like the uh, most flashy plays that you usually see out of him. He didn't throw for he threw for like two thirty or something. Yep. Um, so, uh, but but the way they were able to just execute and find open receivers, especially against those guys, like I, I again. Chase was out, but they still have Boyd, Higgins, Hurst is a very talented tight end. Mixon is a threat as a receiver. I mean, those guys can beat you. Like, I, it, you don't even need to scheme them up. And that's the a lot of the issues that Bengals fans have with yeah. Zach Taylor. He doesn't do a great job of scheming well, his guys up. Burrow, but by the way, Burrow on the first drive, he, remember he does the check, checks it down to uh, the back shoulder there to the boundary to Boyd and he just it was just absolutely like like Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers in their prime and, and Henderson once again that's a tough assignment but he, he's just not in position at all to cover that on the boundary so I credit Burrow too for seeing a lot of things pre-snap but I think it was just it was kind of a humbling experience I think for this defense sort of a reminder a reality check that hey you know great job against Tampa as you mentioned but I think we've seen Tampa they, they're like two yards per carry on the ground right now they can't, they can't threaten you with the run so you kind of know you can pin your ears back and you know Mixon hasn't been great lately but the commitment hasn't been there and I think that was just a statement by the Bengals to come out and say okay you know we've seen what Cleveland did to you we've seen what other teams can do when they you know put their mind to it in the run game and we're going to push you up a little bit we're going to we're going to be hard up in the paint and and challenge it and Mixon can do it all so they featuring him I thought was a, a really smart thing by Zach Taylor yeah, and, and that thirty-five yard screen to Mixon, it, it was interesting because it, it was just it was dialed up so perfectly because Brian Burns slants inside at the snap. Yep. Okay, uh, Shaq Thompson he picks up the tight end like down the seam, but he's on the opposite side, and essentially the Bengals have like four guys against Lavu, and then Mixon just, I mean, he does a really good job of getting into open field. I mean, there's a couple missed tackles, um, you know, bad a few angles. guys didn't really hold bad them. angles. Yeah, they, again, the same issues that we saw in Atlanta. So, I, I yeah. mean, that, that can be uh, probably uh, marked as a poor trend now, some of these bad and poor angles they take. And overall, again, if this defense 
I mean, it's 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 concerning to me because we also saw them. Um, you know, they didn't really have the hold themselves in glory against the 49ers either. Um, and yeah, I think we have to have some conversations about certain players, and that notably the the linebacking court. I mean, Shaq Thompson has been has not had a very great year overall. Uh, I think he's reading and diagnosing plays very well, like he's getting to the right spots. Uh, but he's just not getting off blocks very quickly. I mean, uh, you know, the crack toss that the Bengals ran and uh, for that one of the mix and touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, he does a really good job of getting over, but I mean, two guys are late, uh, you know, filling that play, N- namely Xavier Woods. And uh, I think it was a uh, 28 mm-hmm. Keith Taylor. So, yep. I mean, here's the thing just moving forward and we're going to get to some of the reports that we read on Sunday morning, because those are also uh, important. You have to stop the run. And I think that's very important this day and age. I'm not suggesting you should allocate all of your resources to it, but when you don't stop the run, it just can, it can be humiliating and it can really ruin a game for you. And I think this performance is indicative of that. We heard all off season last year, or at least we heard at the end of uh, last January how they were going to look to uh, beef up their edge rush spots in the off season. They brought in Carlos Dunlap. They didn't sign him. I'm watching Dunlap get sacks on Sunday Night Football and Arrowhead yep. for his team. Um, and, and so that was. And, but there were other guys available. And so John, when you can't stop the run, it starts up front. It goes to the second level. The linebackers aren't playing well. Safeties are taking poor angles. It's just you got to get down to fundamentals. Oh, and stopping man. the run, in my opinion, is very key to having successful defense. No, you're. I'm looking at it now. I mean, I'm, this is the first drive again. It's down near the red zone, and and the, the Bengals wisely. And this is what I love. They go 12 XL personnel. So you've got an extra tackle, and you've got two tight ends. It's you know, it's Joe Gibbs football basically. <laughs> you're heavy on the right side of the offense, left side of the defense, and, and the Panthers once again. You've got Bravey and Roy. And and Derek Brown, who's on the offside of the play, and Burns is right there, and he's about to get double teamed by two offensive tackles. The the far side tight end chips or kind of blocks down on Hartsfield, gets him off his schedule. Shaq is taking bad angle. Hartsfield's stumbling right past the lane, and the runner, I think it was P Ryan, just gashes them for nine easy yards. And this is just, once again, they see on tape. And for whatever you think about Brian Burns, he, he's not going to be optimal in that kind of situation. Hopefully you hold, he holds his blocks enough. But then, you know, when Shaq is is misfilling, when, when Hartsfield is not taking care of business on the second level, Woods has had some bad angles too. Um, it was a whole lot of that, Bill. He was a, just really bad execution. Um scheme I know you're right about the scheme stuff too but like even when they're lining up in the schemes that are preferable um there's way too many like first down and tens that turn into second and one out of the run game and that that's as you said it's not only bad football it's embarrassing it's demoralizing and once that becomes a, a sort of established by the other team it can have a mental effect on the entire sideline because you know Boy, they can get in four-minute offense whenever they want. Whatever they want to take, they can take it. And by the way, if they want to go away from that, oh yeah, there's that Joe Burrow guy that can throw dimes. 
that was the one thing they needed to do was to make sure that, hey, do not let Mixon and Pirine go nuts on you because they haven't been going nuts on anybody. And so when that happened, I said, oh, shit, this thing's over. And the other, the other thing about it is, like, um, a lot of the criticisms that have been directed towards Zach Taylor is he doesn't use pre-snap motion like, uh, you know, guys like in San Francisco and Miami and the Rams as well. It's not – or even like the Falcons. He kind of just lets his guys go play. And, I again, I didn't necessarily see that much, like, pre-snap shifts in motion where they're eliminating – gaps and creating extra angles in the run game they just completely like abused your defense i oh, mean it was man up straight up i mean you're yeah. right they did some it's pre- not even and not even a talented off i mean it's a good off it's a no, they're it's average. okay offensive they're line. average they're they're yeah, exactly in the it's run okay yeah in the run game they, they they're better because they can get out there and do some work but in the passing game they that it helped them stay insulated when they established the run no doubt um, but overall, John, th- this was a pretty rough performance by the team, and uh, and I think it was a complete team loss. Uh, I mean, a twenty-one point loss is probably a uh, much f- more flattering scoreline than what the actual product on the field suggested. Yeah. Uh, again, Baker Mayfield led like uh, three touchdown drives uh, in the second half. Um, again, game state and just overall mindset. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure how really motivated at that point Cincinnati was. No, but, um, don't think so. But yeah, Steve Wilkes is now one and three as the head coach. Uh, short week against the Falcons. Um, I didn't really get your reaction. Any thoughts on the dismissal of Pascaloni and uh, Cooper this morning? Um, not so much on Pascaloni. Look, that that guy has been doing this for a long time, and I, you know, I had a few names in mind when they were looking for a defensive line coach. And it's notable that. Um, Terrence Knighton, I believe, is still on the staff, and I assume he'll just take over full-time as a defensive line coach, and I actually kind of like pot roast. But, um, you know, I had my I got guys like Brinson Buckner. He was available. Uh, he's ended up in Jacksonville and, and trying to develop those young guys. He's a bona fide. Pa- Pascaloni was kind of an odd one to me, um, but, uh, look, I'm not going to go nuts over it. Uh, Evan Cooper, there's some, there's some interesting context behind his history here. Um, let's face it. Evan was Matt Rule's right-hand man in college. I mean, these guys were about as close and inseparable as anybody Matt knows other than maybe Phil Snow. And I found it interesting that Cooper was a holdover. I guess it's because Steve was taking over the head coaching. He needed somebody who knew the DBs to kind of, you know, stay in that role. But I, I don't know. I mean, you've heard a lot of things about Evan Cooper's responsibilities extend beyond coaching, including, I think, director of player evaluation was his title officially on the website which struck me as odd as a guy that really never had any nfl experience i don't know what that meant i guess it meant hey i'm gonna give matt rule some ideas on personnel and he certainly did (laughs) right off the bat teddy bridgewater that was evan cooper and matt rule so whatever you want to make of that make of it evan was an influential guy in that building when matt was here i can tell you that and um I, I don't know. Look, it's the day after Steve Wilkes had talked about, you know, that nothing prompted this, that this is just me trying to sort things out and figure out our way here. But it's pretty clear to me that when a game happens like it did, um, you have to imagine somebody in that building had a conversation with Steve. Or maybe they didn't have to. Maybe Steve just said, all right, these are two guys that have been on my list. <laughs> their, their units perform poorly. It, it's time to move on. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, they've already fired the head coach. 
whatever helps Steve operate the way he needs to. Good luck to Paul and and Evan both. Thank you for your contributions. This is the NFL. You don't produce and, and you end up on the street and they'll land somewhere, I'm sure. Wherever Matt Rule ends up <laughs> in your year or two on the college level, because he will, you could bet Evan Cooper will be there and as will Phil Snow and others. So it's just uh, is what it is, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And again, all of these moves probably would have been done at the end of the year so yep. it's just accelerated the timeline um uh, again the defensive line performance is not an indictment on pascaloni in my opinion i mean again we saw what happened last year this is a defense that also struggled against the run um, yeah so it's it's very just uh it's it is what it is like you well, said it you know like Derek brown we've been really praising Derek brown a lot and i think he's earned a lot of that that praise but once again i'm coming back to another play here and i I give brian callahan a lot of credit in this game the oc for the Bengals and zach taylor as well for for calling just good simple concepts so they're they're at the nine yard line here and and once again they're the shotgun there looks like 11 personnel and you end up just getting a duo a double on Derek uh, inside and then 65 the right guard releases off that and just takes shaq thompson on a sleigh ride Meanwhile, you've got 88 cracking down on Burns, and there's nobody within three yards of Mixon until he's tackled around the one-yard line. So, I, you know, I know you've got to play against the personnel they're showing, but you've also got to have enough beef up front to be able to handle that. And, you know, you can't get put on roller skates if you're Bravey and Roy. Derek Brown, I understand you got two guys on you there. But then the second guy gets off and takes Thompson for a ride. It was just, and this is where you need guys on that second level like Warner or Keekly or others or even Wagner and his prime to be able to shed that stuff and and be able to get around it. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's disappointing. And I, I had my concerns about Luvu as well, playing a stack back position. Um, yeah, that's that's it's not it's not a good fit, Billy. He's a he's a he's a Sam Edge rusher. That's he's a he's, yeah, a, he's a good niche. situational player. Yep, exactly. Thank you. I, I don't like how they're trying to make him to be something he's not. Exactly. And speaking of making players be something they're not, let's have a discussion on Brian Burns. Yep. Um, yep. So it was reported yesterday. And again, I don't want to keep having these conversations, but the media reports it on Sunday about these trade talks, and all this stuff. Right. So we're going to have to discuss it. Now, when we first had this discussion about the Panthers turning down two first round picks, we didn't know what the offers were. Mm-hmm. We had no clarity on the situation. We didn't know if it was 2023 and 2024. We don't know where it came from. Now we realize, thanks to uh, former Charlotte, or Panthers beat writer from the Charlotte Observer, now CBS national insider, Jonathan Jones, good friend of mine, great guy. He knows this organization inside and out. So I have every reason to believe this report is accurate. He tells he reported on Sunday morning it was a 2023 second round pick, 2024 first round pick, 2025 first round pick from the Los Angeles Rams. Okay, here's what I want to say real quickly. I'll get to what I think about the offer as a whole in a second. I was consistent pretty much throughout this entire process that I felt you know future first round picks might have been uh, probably not worth it especially when I had the discussion with Mike K. Um, I was operating under that assumption. It was 2024 and 2025, and that the Panthers were not getting anything in 2023. Um, 
a second round pick is very valuable in my opinion so much so that a second round pick from a team that could be p- picking somewhere in the top 45 could be very valuable to your franchise and if you feel that Brian Burns is worth is excuse me is not worth a second round pick and two future first round picks then that tells me that you view Brian Burns as an elite edge rusher. Yeah. I don't view him that way. You view him that way as an organization. So when you view him that way, I have to hold him to those standards. And those standards include multiple pressures per game, pressures that lead to turnovers, sacks, holding up in the run game. These that's the entire package because when you're talking about like a tier 1 edge rusher, you're talking about guys like TJ Watt, like Miles Garrett, like Micah Parsons, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. I mean, even Zadarius Smith. Yeah. You're talking about those are tier one edge rushers. Is Brian Burns that? In my opinion, no, he's not. But that's how the organization feels about him. So when he's not performing at that level, then I think it's very fair for us who analyze the game to expect him to reach that level. When he's missing a tackle on Marcus Mariota, which he takes accountability for. And I love that. I love accountability. But you can't keep on speaking to the press about having to play better and not making plays. You have to tackle Mariota. You have to do that. You have to be part of a defensive unit that is top of top half of the league. And that's this unit isn't. So yeah. I think that this organization just completely misrepresented the value on Brian Burns. I think, and a lot of people might remember, I was a huge fan of Burns pre-draft. I had him as my number two edge rusher behind Nick Bosa. And I think it's um, it's sort of been validated. I think Rashawn Gary's probably been the second best edge rusher from that class. But, um, but he's still a good to very good edge rusher. But he's not an elite edge rusher. And I think that's a, it's a very important distinction. And I and I don't want fans to just always get caught up in you know calling others haters just because you think a player is good to very good. Yeah, I felt the same way about Cam Newton after two thousand, uh, you know, like two thousand seventeen and two thousand nineteen. I felt he was not an elite quarterback, but he was still good to very good. And that doesn't mean I'm hating. I'm just mentioning that just because he's not at the top of the, you know, a tier one superstar player, it doesn't mean he's bad. It just means that you know there's other players who are better and who impact the game on a down-on-down basis much more frequently. I don't blame Brian Burns for not having the same type of body as a Miles Garrett or Micah Parsons. That's just who he is and what type of player he he comes. The organization feels that he's that type of player, and I I don't know, man. I just don't see it, and uh, they're going to be in a conundrum. Maybe that trade offer is still available in the offseason, um, but John, that that the Los Angeles Rams, I mean, they have a, a head coach who is flirting with retirement, a, a defensive, they're all defensive player who is flirted with retirement. I mean, their quarterback is, you know, he's hurt off and on. He's having a very poor season. Their offensive line is in shambles. Their star cornerback, who's never afraid to speak his mind and demand trades, is speaking his mind and blaming the offense. That could get a very toxic situation. So that could have been a very valuable pick. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, my, one of my good friends, uh, Sean, um, I, I can't remember his last name. He, 
Uh, he used to work for the Ravens doing analytics. He mentioned that one of the things that makes Howie Roseman one of the better general managers is that he takes on these discounted future first round picks um, when a lot of teams don't because the teams who trade to him the first round pick, they think, oh, we're good. We're close. We're going to be fine. But in reality, it turns out to be a nightmare for them, just like mm-hmm. the Saints. It could be a very valuable pick for uh, the Eagles. Um, and we saw the same thing uh, with the Texans when they traded that first round pick for Watson, like in 2017, that pick went to Cleveland. It was like a top five pick because they took like Denzel Ward and Baker Mayfield in that draft, like in the top four. Yep. So, I mean, that's a different discussion. I, w- I just want to get your thoughts on Burns and like, again, you and I, I think we see eye to eye. We think he's a good to very good, but we don't think he's tier one. But this organization thinks he is, and I think that's the issue. Yeah. Um, Brian Burns has six sacks this season. You can't measure everything by sacks. We know that. Uh, six sacks in nine games, that puts you on track for roughly 11 sacks. That's pretty good. That would be the first time that Brian, and he has talked about that himself, would crack the double-digit mark in terms of sacks. You have to also look at other metrics, including win rate, which you talked about last episode. Um, Hasn't been uh, optimal, I say that. I think the double-team rate hasn't been overwhelming. And you got to find out, kind of dig deeper where the sacks are coming from. There were two against the Giants and Daniel Jones, an offensive line that's still meshing at that point. One against Arizona, where Kyler Murray does, like Roadrunner, run into sacks at times. Picked up one against Garoppolo, uh, against the 49ers. Uh, Had one against Tom Brady, that was a good one. And had one against Burrow in a game that was well in hand. Um, He's hit the quarterback multiple times in two different games, Atlanta and the Giants. He's gone one, two, three games without hitting the quarterback at all. That ain't good enough. Um, And as you look at him on the whole, I I think there are two components to Brian Burns, and I want to be as as, nuanced as I can about this and as honest as I can. Number one, it's the production. And the the production itself is not to the level of a Micah Parsons. Um, That's not an insult. That's a tough bar. But there are guys in this league that are consistently disrupting the pass game and doing some damage in the run game. Uh, it's what the standard is for a guy that you turn down that much draft compensation for. That is the standard for that. Uh, if indeed this report is true, and, and I, much like you, I know you and Jonathan know each other pretty well, and I know of his work so well because he used to cover this team, and is you are spot on. He's as connected as anybody that, that covers the NFL landscape to the Panthers, even the local guys. Um, that's a lot of capital. And look, I'm usually not Mr. Draftnik like, oh boy, let's go ahead and cash off a veteran now and, and get future ones. But it's rare to get an offer for your, for multiple ones or a two with it. And you look back at the, the history of the draft with edge guys, I, it's it's hard to find a lot that come in the first round that are that are just tremendous studs, but it does happen. And it, they come from another, another place. Like I did... A pre-draft show with Nick Carboni, our friend from WCNC, back in, I guess it was the year that Parsons was taken, and that was 2021. Yep, that was the Horn year. So Eugene Robinson was with us, Julian Council as well, who does a very fine podcast himself. Um, And Eugene, we did this little mock draft exercise, and I I was playing, I think, Fitter and... (laughs) I'm feeling the heat now, because you're going to hear where I went with this. Um, 
And Eugene, to his credit, you know, former player, guy that knows ball. I mean, some people think highly of Eugene, something he's annoying. I love Eugene because Eugene was a Pro Bowl safety who understands the damn game. He was adamant during this thing. He said, Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons. You can play him on the edge. You can play him inside, stack him. I know there's some stuff about him in college people don't like, but Micah Parsons, you're going to miss out. And when Ian, I think we ended up taking Horn, which is far, maybe it was Sertan. I forget who we took because Fields was, I don't know. Anyway, I go back to that. And I always remember Eugene. I was chatting with him not too long ago about it. And he was like, look, I'm not Nostradamus here. I couldn't predict it was going to be this great. But you do remember that. Once again, it's not just about the Panthers passing on Justin Fields, which is looking increasingly bad now. You don't mention that, man. I am just uh, as irked as you are. Mac Jones, I, I don't care about Mac Jones. Mac Jones is very well insulated when he plays well, and he's more than capable, but that's not who I wanted here. I wanted an athlete. Short arm Slater, though. What about your boy, short arm Slater? Short arm Slater was never going to make it with Matt Rule. We knew that. I they've crossed him <laughs> off my list. Short arm Matt Rule never. Yeah, if your arms aren't thirty nine inches long, you're not playing for him. <laughs> so, uh, but Parsons, again, a lot of teams passed on him for a number of reasons, and I think I viewed him more of a traditional backer than the way Dan Quinn. Give him credit; he's just turned him loose, and it's an impactful thing. But no, for Burns. It's like I said last show, we just want to see more. We want to see more production more consistently. And he just doesn't he doesn't have it together yet in terms of being able to just completely take over a game. Whereas if you do have that type of draft capital, it gives him a fresh start, which he clearly he has not had a chance here to compete to the highest level. I don't think he's been coached as well as he can be possibly coached um, between Rivera and between his time with Matt Rule. I think that's been lacking. But the player on the whole, if that report is correct, you know, fitter or better, really start pulling it together and putting together a winner here. Uh, and, you know, that's on Tepper too, Billy. Oh, absolutely. No, the, this, the, is, this, this is, is an organizational problem. This it, is not this on is, Fitter himself. And, and, you know, what What are they hoping to see from Brian that they haven't seen yet? And, I, you know, I was talking to people that know the defensive in position pretty well, a couple of former players. And they were defending Brian a little bit in that, you know, these guys tend to age well. They start to hit their stride. Well, again, I'm not going to take one or two games from Brian and say, oh, he missed a sack here and he just got moved in the run game here. He's never going to be able to set the edge as good as anybody wants him to. His role is to tee off on the passer and to impact the passing game. And you've got to be doing it at a more frequent rate than he has been. I think, honestly, he would tell you that. I don't know. He's a big, like I said before, he's a big grown ass man. He ain't going to worry about me. I know his brother well, and his brother ain't going to care. The standard's high for those guys. But if you're offered that type of compensation, oh, man, that's because you're trying to restructure this entire unit. And if it's just Burns, and I'm not just saying just Burns, but if it's Brian Burns, I mean, this is the kind of compensation we were talking about for Deshaun Watson, Billy. This is what we're looking at. Exactly. So, I mean, to, to me, it's an edge rusher. But is he top five in that position? I, I, he's borderline when he's on his you game. So? Boy, when he's on his game and he gets hot and cooking, maybe. But there's a lot of good edge rushers out there, Billy. A lot of them. And like we had one last year, and he's now thriving in Philadelphia. So I, there's a yeah. number of ways you can acquire a, a considerable just destroyer on the edge. It's, they're not easy to find. But I don't know if that's the most important thing for this team right now. They've established a very good offensive line. They've got a very good defensive tackle for the future in Derek Brown. 
and where does Burns fit into the piece? No matter who the coach is, is the coach going to want him to play three, four out outside backer? The new coach? I mean, I, I got a lot of questions about his utilization now moving forward. And I, I agree with you about the scheme now. It's just funky and quirky and weird. But no, I hope Brian just rips it up and shuts me up. But to this point, that it's a compliment to him that this trade compensation would meet my standards because I think that highly of him. But you can't pass up on that type of compensation. I don't see anybody in this roster I would pass that up for. Nobody. Not even yeah, DJ. Maybe not even DJ, Billy. Uh, yeah. I, I Honestly, the only person that I can think of in Panthers franchise history is probably 2013 and 2015 Cam Newton. He probably is the only player in franchise history that meets that type of compensation. Yeah. I, I mean, that that's... It's, Steve it's, Smith, it's, maybe in 05, but that, I mean... I can't think of more than two or three players. No, it's insane. If that's reported. And let me just that, that's a crazy it, amount of compensation. Totally agree, man. And that's the thing here. I'm not suggesting we, like the thing that really irks me. Like when we bring this up and that's saying you have to trade them. Trade. I'm not saying trade people just to trade people. I'm saying everyone has a price. Now the are, counter argument people are going to come up with. Is you're not going to find someone as good as Brian Burns in the draft where you're picking. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that at all, actually. Let me just go through this, some of the edge rushers that were picked in that 2021 draft. 2022, it's too early, and we don't know where their careers are going. All right, number 12 overall, or excuse me, number 12 overall, yes, Micah Parsons. Uh, we're going to pass up on him. We Again, unicorn player. I didn't think he would be this good. I had concerns about some of the stuff I heard off the field, uh, but he's turned out to be a complete, like, Hall of Fame type player. Okay, yeah. but I'm going to keep him off. Let's go number 18 overall. 18th overall. Pick two spots over where Brian Burns was picked. Jalen Phillips. Very good edge rusher for yes. the Dolphins. Yep. Okay. Quiddy Pay, number 21 overall. He's had an okay year. Not not perfect. The Colts are, um, uh, you know, they have uh, some situations they have to handle internally right now. <laughs> uh, but Quiddy Pay, a, he's a, an okay edge rusher. Okay. Let, let's go down. Number 28, Peyton Turner. He had a very promising start to his rookie year then he got injured um i've been watching some saints games especially defensively he looks to be a, again a promising player a player that i think is going to be good 31 overall odafe owe my, one of my favorite guys in that draft last year i loved him coming out he went to the right organization he's been a revelation he's been very good again 31st overall is where baltimore found him the next pick 32nd overall at the time, the defending champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Joe Tryon Shoyinka, very good edge rusher. If you were watching that game yesterday, he was just as impactful as Vita Vea. All right. Now, yeah. um, second round, there were a few guys that kind of really caught my attention. One of them mainly picked at 50th overall, Aziz Ojolari. I know he's had some issues with his durability, but a, a very good edge rusher, uh, you know, played in the SEC, put up a lot of really good production. And, you know, a guy that you and I had our eyes on, especially, yeah. if, you know, reports are to be believed, 54th overall was uh, Deo uh, Odeniigbo from Vanderbilt. I can tell uh, you, De Deo was part of the discussion in that war room. And don't ask me how I know that, but I know it. He was, that was the, well, all the strife about Carolina, all the argo, everybody's arguing about all the offensive linemen sliding. No, actually, from the source I have, it was very close to that situation. There were some scouts that were yelling for certain O-linemen, and then Deo was a part of that discussion. And I think overall what I'm trying to point out here is good edge rushers can be found in the draft. 
this is just from 2021. Yep. And you shouldn't hold your front office to the lowest of standards that they can't find good players. I mean, Marty Herney was a general manager picking Brian Burns at 16th overall and DJ Moore in the 20s. And I, again, we we have our issues with Marty, but Marty is a pretty good talent evaluator himself. And if he can find it, then I surely hope that the guy who replaced him is a better evaluator of talent. Hey, Mar- Marty, not, wanted, Marty wanted Herbert and Marty was spearheading Derek Brown. So give him credit where credit's due because it worked out on both ends. Both those guys are turning into very good pros. But, but like my point, yeah, and totally agree. And my point here is that you fired Marty Herney and I think that was the right move. You brought in Scott Fitter. If you think so, you don't think highly of Scott Fitter to replace these guys, then you should probably look for another GM. Now, again, I'm not going to turn this into that type of discussion. Um, but my overall, my thing is I'm not trying to trade players to trade players. The second report that came out Monday morning, Jake Glazer said the Panthers turned down a first-round pick from the Green Bay Packers for DJ Moore. What the hell is going on that you have to turn Man. that down? Who are you as an organization? Turn down a potentially, not even a top-10 pick, a top-5 pick. That organization is a complete Wait, shambles is right that, now. I'm talking about the Packers. Is that Glazer, or, is that Glazer talking or you? I'm, I'm, I'm talking, man. <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that was Glazer's tweet, the rest of it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Jay Glazer reported. Go ahead. The Panthers turned down a first round pick. That's crazy. For DJ Moore. See, I'm I'm just catching up on that reporting. And the Packers are going to have a, a. That's a primo pick now, and we could all anticipate that. Uh, you could have had a first round pick potentially in the top uh, ten of top the draft, 10, yeah. maybe even as high as top five. Jesus. John, do you know who the next three opponents the Packers play? The Cowboys, yeah, yep. the Titans, and the Eagles. Yeah, those are they three. Could be three and, and they're they're completely losing. The, I mean, the quarterback has been playing terrible. Sucks. I mean, this Sucks. could that's just bad. Could, that what what if they had done both? What if they had both trades? If they'd now, I think they were real adamant. I mean, just from what I understand, the organization that, okay, McCaffrey, Anderson, we've recovered six picks. We're going to cut the faucet off here, and, and we're going to rely on who these guys are moving forward. They just paid DJ. But, man, you know, if you, if you want to go full Dolphin and, and really have the capital to play with, because at some point you got to consider what would it take to move up to get – I mean, let's just say you're in another situation like you were in 2020 where you're inches away – from having what you need to have Justin Herbert in your hands. What if you're there again and you're kind of low on capital? I, I mean, these are things you got to think about. I know if everybody's just raving about these quarterbacks. Billy, we talked about this three weeks ago. All of a sudden, just once again, folks, tell me once again who your guy is in this draft, quarterback-wise. It's so volatile. And you know, my point is here, you know, damn, the, the Glazer report, and I'm sorry I cut you off because I was trying to figure out. You didn't know about it? I, well, I knew about it. I, I thought, yeah, I knew about it. I didn't know it was the Packers or a first rounder. I, I, I knew there was some first round chatter about DJ. I didn't know it was Green Bay. That is, uh, yeah, that's something. Uh, and that's and this is. I'm not blaming Scott Fitter. I want to be absolutely 100. It's not just I'm not Scott either. Fitter problem. It's an organizational problem. The organization for years has just rejected the reality of their situation. Their situation is this team is not close. I understand there was playoff talk a couple weeks ago. They are two and seven. Yeah. Okay. With all due respect, this team is not going to the playoffs. No, even Tampa if, Bay, even, even Atlanta, if they, even if they had, it, it stands to reason they would have happened with a losing record. And then where are you? Are you really equipped there to, to make a run moving forward? Or is it just, you took advantage of a bad year and a bad division? No, I agree with you. 
And I think the other three teams are so far ahead. We'll see what New Orleans does tonight. Uh, me personally, I think they have a very good chance of winning. And so that's going to be, you know, four teams or excuse me, the other three teams are going to have two games up on you. Okay. Again, I, I totally understand you don't want to just gut the team to gut the team. And we're not doing this during the middle of the year. We're doing this middle of the season. I mean, for goodness sake, what they're doing in Indianapolis, firing coaches and hiring ESPN studio guys. I mean, that would be 20 times worse than what the Panthers would have done if they accepted these offers. And yep. look at the Seahawks, John. Look at the Seahawks. They yep. have like eight rookie starters, and yep. they're like one of the best teams in the NFL right uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's not necessarily like you have to just engage. Like if you no. trade these players, you're engaging yourself in like a full, you know, a, a multi-year no. rebuild. Well, it was Geno Smith. You know, where it was Geno Smith? Did we have to tank to get Geno Smith? Was picked up last year and developed, and he learned the system, and now he's got two bookend tackles he can rely on through the draft. By the way, he's got a running back that pairs with him very dynamically. You've got boundary receivers that are actual threats. And you've got some defensive pieces that are emerging, but that offense is really fun to watch. And it's Geno Smith, who was sort of an afterthought for many years. So Pete Carroll, I give him a ton of credit, and, and Schneider as well, for being resourceful here, for, for relying on, you know, sort of a veteran mid-contract with Geno. And then also, you're getting contributions that are invaluable from guys on rookie deals right now in offense. You're, they're playing it's woolen too on defense. You could make an argument they got an OP and DP of the year um, in terms of the Kobe rookie. Brian played set. well. Yeah, I mean it, it's coaching too, man. Pete, everybody's writing off the Seahawks. <laughs> Pete's not ready to hang them up quite yet. They're six and three. No, I think that's how you do and it. Look, but do they have like a an edge rusher as good as Brian Burns? No, no, they don't. Uchenna, yeah, Uchenna Nuosu. I mean, he was a smart free agent signing. You know, he came very cheap and he's been really good. I mean, they got freaking Bruce Irvin back on the cheap, and he's yep. playing his... That's a guy I would have looked into, because I like the way Bruce played here. Now, he's a little old, but, I mean, that's being resourceful. Yeah, I, I liked him for what he was, but he, he's not the best, um, you know, again, a player that doesn't do well against but the Billy, run, which, the, again, Billy, the problem is that LeVu is not, like you said, he's not it in terms of consistently on the other edge, and and 97 is not it. He's not, he's just not, he's just not it. I like Yutir Grossmatos, he's just not it. Okay, so I, 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 I get there's a developmental curve there. I'm not seeing nearly enough from that guy. And you see it in waves when it happens. But you're right about Seattle, and, and there's a host of other teams you can look at that are on top of divisions right now, and they're not screaming out edge rush excellence. It's <laughs> They're getting contributions from a rotation and – yeah, the Bills are a different animal. They got nine guys that are as good as Brian Burns are. They're just so damn deep. But like the Chiefs, I mean, they're they're winning without you know elite play at that level every down. It, it just I think it speaks to the positional value. I mean, the Giants. How many times do we have to talk about Martindale when he's cooking? It's scheme. Yeah, it's all how you how you scheme up what you got. Even when the Panthers were in their excellent years. Look, I mean, I'm talking about like 2015. Charles Johnson was a very good defensive end, and he did it all. But there were moments where he was out of the lineup. You know, Hardy was a, just a stellar. But but like Mario Addison, good example of a guy they found. This is Brandon Bean, by the way, who found him off, of, I think, Colts practice squad. His first game was against the Chargers in 12, and he started making an impact. And then you develop him. And that's what Ron and, and Sean and those guys did. And I don't know. I, I like Brian a lot. And this is where I'm like, you. I just I, people just need to cool it when we're trying to do analysis here. It's like, 
we're not saying Brian Burns is a piece of crap that he deserves to go, but you got to make business decisions right now. And, and this is one that if this report is valid, I mean, I'm sure Carolina would have their own reasons to justify what they're doing. I just, I, I hope it works out. I do. I hope it works out. And again, I, I'm, I want to be clear. Uh, I'm not blaming just Scott Fair. This is an organization. No, I'm not either. I'm it's, it um, goes to the top, Billy. And, it, and it's not even just an organizational issue that's been happening under disownership. It's been happening. It happened under Jerry Richardson when Marty Herney was trading, trading up a future 33rd overall pick for uh, Armani Edwards. Uh, I mean, this, the inability of this franchise to accept reality of their situation has been their biggest downfall. Just accept it for one year. No one is saying go into a season and become the Houston Texans. But in the middle of the year, when the season is unfortunately lost, accept a reality. Have Give fans an opportunity to look forward to something. And play your young guys. And, yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's just the thing right now that just kind of, um, you know, really just disappoints me. I thought maybe this regime, this ownership, and this front office could really just accept where they are as a franchise, uh, and they haven't. And, and that's probably been um, the most disappointing Look, thing. Trading, and again, trading, trading McCaffrey, by the way, people had this misconception that that was some landmark move. I, I'm surprised they got what they got for him, and I think Christian's a fine player, but he was giving them... he, he They were getting nowhere with Christian. It, it was a, a stonewall situation where he doesn't fit what they do, they don't fit what he's good at. They don't seem to find a way to utilize him. He's not built to be an every-down back. You've got to do what, you know, Shanahan, to his credit, figured it out. And he'll be great there. But where that yeah. contract was given out, and that was Rule and Herney and those guys, you got to think those things through and stop thinking about PR and, oh, this is, you know, we got to have a face of the franchise. And these are actual things you're hearing behind the scenes. It's like, guys, come on. I mean, just the, this is a value position. You got to be, and you know, I know Foreman didn't light it up, but they only give him six carries against Natty. You know, that was just malpractice by McAdoo. Um, I mean, also like the athletic testing stuff that Matt Rule was just, and I know you and I agree that that's an important component. But pre-draft, this is what I was hearing from a, a scout that was with that team. Okay, that they viewed J.C. Horn as sort of Jalen Ramsey type ceiling, higher ceiling a little bit of a lower floor, and they saw Sertan as more of a Bradbury. Sure thing, not as dynamic. And Sertan is arguably, even though the interceptions aren't there, you watch the tape, he might be the best corner in the AFC. Might. Along with Sauce Gardner and a host of others, Sneed. I mean, but, but, and I'm not bashing Horn either. He's still young, but he's been hurt. And he hasn't looked great since he's been hurt. Yeah, neither no, has, and then none of these corners have. I mean, none of them. None of them are developed. Dante is up and down. He's hurt one week. He's there the other. He gives you some contributions. C.J. Henderson is not developing like they had hoped, and Chen's been out, and, and Woods is good, but he can't do it by himself. So then you're stuck with Hartsfield and Taylor, and it what looked like a position of depth and strength coming into the season, at least from my eye. I guess I overvalued what I was looking at because I just don't see that. They're not, they're not playing as one, this defensive unit. It's too inconsistent. You're not getting enough pass rush consistently. The linebackers are average at best, and Shaq weighs that up a little bit based on his experience. But when he's having bad games, forget about it. If you're washing Shaq Thompson out of the run game, you're done. You're done. And that's what happened in Natty. 
Yeah, for sure, man. Again, we're going to, this will probably be the last time we speak about this I mean, until like another report comes out that the, <laughs> yeah. that the offer was a 23 second round pick, third round pick, fourth round pick. Yeah. And then a first round pick in 24. Yeah. Look, we both agree. We wouldn't trade Brian Burns lightly. I mean, we've talked about that, but that's a lot of picks. And even I, yeah, I'm one of his biggest advocates and I, I do it very fairly. I, I would have made that trade and I would have given Brian an opportunity to thrive in that system over there where he undoubtedly would have and i would have given carolina the chance to have those just bounce that's a bounty of picks and you can do some real good stuff there if you trust your gm which to this point i still do but let's does see does tepper trust him well i hope he i hope he does i hope tepper kind of stays out of the way from this point on and, and allows scott and scott's guys like you know samir and dan and others to, to sort of put together the next steps here because if you end up firing the GM, then you get into this whole cycle again where you've got to really decide, okay, now who are you leaning on to find the new head coach? Is it you and Steve Drummond? We talked about Steve. We like Steve. But I'd rather have the guys in that front office right now working with Tepper on recommendations on a new head coach because that to me is better than new head coach, then new coordinator. But a lot of this depends, Billy, on how high they aim. And I don't think Sean Payton has a chance in hell of being the coach here. But, you know, if... if I mean, you could have had Sean Payton if you accepted those picks. uh, Yes, you could have. You would have had the capital to play with, and he would have been enticed by it. But then you got to look also, if if Tepper wants to swing big here, like he probably will, you know, we talked about guys like Jim Harbaugh before. I mean, I don't know where he's thinking right now, but if he's going to want to swing big, this team better be attractive to big swingers. (laughs) Because right now, it's feeling like it's going to be a young OC like Waldron or Steichen, and that's fine. Go that direction. That Ken, would be Ken, excellent. Hire Ken Dorsey, all, any, any, any of those three guys, t- I'd take him yeah. in a heartbeat. And you I, know, I would definitely – I think Waldron and Steichen stand out to me much more than Dorsey. I mean, with all due respect to Ken, I think he did some really good things here with Cam Newton as a quarterback coach. And then yeah, uh, I know their offense struggled yesterday, but I, I just think it's a little too early for him. Waldron, um, Waldron, what Waldron's doing, doing right now with, with Geno and how they've developed those tackles and – their their scheme and system that can travel anywhere that's that's an that's a really good place to start I would say and Kevin O'Connell's a, a pretty good example of why that is right now at seven and one yeah for sure and again th- this entire discussion where I'm not I didn't want to tra- I, I was very clear I wouldn't have traded the um you know any of the first round or the couple recent first round picks Horn uh, Brown Iquanu. Um, any of the offensive linemen, I think, should have kept those guys just to have some sort of foundation moving forward. But yeah, man, I, I just think like you really could could have set yourself up very, very, very well next year, um, especially in the offseason, the draft, uh, where you could have you know recouped assets and uh, such. It, it, again, it does not have to be a Cle- Houston Texans style rebuild. The reason the Texans were behind was because Bill O'Brien just completely dismantled that organization, uh, trading future picks and making irrational moves. Um, and so, if you would have set yourself up with, you know, a first two first round picks, two potentially top ten picks, two second round picks, a third round pick. I mean that's uh, that's extremely valuable assets towards a yeah. a rebuild and and you just look no further than Seattle what that could really get you and Scott Fitter comes from the Seattle front office Dan Morgan does too John Schneider's uh-huh. a very good GM so you have well, to give those guys credit uh, for the way they drafted and 
I don't see why it couldn't have happened here. And again, I know people, I still think that 2021 class, especially on day two, has potential to be very good. We saw Terrace Marshall score his first touchdown yes. yesterday. He continues yep. to play well. Um, you know, Christensen has had a very steady season. He's turning out to be a quality left guard, starting left guard, I should mention. Tremble had another touchdown. Uh, you know, he's a good rotational tight end option. I don't think he's a tight end one by any stretch, but for where you got him in the second round, I think it's a good move. And, and that's just my my sort of thing is let's not try to, um, you know, hold these guys to poor standards. I understand Marty Herney had some difficulties drafting outside of the first round, but I mean, this is a new front office. If these guys are going to be entrusted upon, then they need to also realize that, you know, the players you have on the roster, the Brian Burns and DJ Moores, these guys have not led you to playoff appearances. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's a bit different. It's not like you're, the Titans, I think, made a mistake when they traded A.J. Brown because they're the Tennessee Titans who have just won the division multiple years in a row. They were number one seed. That's different because yeah. you're winning a winning franchise. I wouldn't have traded Steve Smith, or I wouldn't have cut Steve Smith after 2014 like Dave Gettleman did. But I understand why he did that. I mean, it was a lot of salary cap issues. But again, if you were coming off 2010 and you traded Steve Smith to, I don't know, like a good team back then. Um, I can't really think of good teams back then. Like the Packers <laughs> yes. who won the Super Bowl or the um, Cowboys or the Vikings. They were pretty good that those few years. Uh, then, yeah, do it. But, John, to me, it's um, it, it just would have really accelerated things. And let me just be clear. These... Those type of offers can still be available, but the team that's like the Packers, they're not going to be picking making that offer in February. Excuse me, February or March. Right. You're going to probably going to get a team like picking in the twenties, whether it's like the Chargers or the Chiefs or um, you know the I don't know who else is like the Eagles or 49ers, yeah, like a team yeah. like that, like who's picking really high in the or really late in the first round. They might make you an offer. And at that point, it's probably still a good deal, but it's not a top 10 pick. And one more thing, receivers are coming into the league very well equipped to instantly have success, especially the guys at the top of the draft. Um, you know, the proliferation of seven on seven, I mean, you college, you cover college football, you're seeing how many talented receivers we're seeing, you know, on a weekly basis across the nation. Um, so I, yep. it could have just accelerated things. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I, I agree with everything you just said, and I just, uh, you know, Burns Burns is here until further notice. Uh, what you hope they don't do now, I mean, this is kind of where, and good for Brian. I mean, look, I like him personally, so, I mean, is this going to be great for the team? Probably not, but uh, he's in a great negotiating position now. Yeah. Uh, because the, the cat is out of the bag that that much was – offered for him reportedly and you know that's not the first time we've heard rumblings about offers for burns and as long as his production stays steady you know he's on pace once again for about 12 sacks about 34 pressures which puts him respectively in the top six and about top 12 league-wide in those categories not bad um but again, you got to look at the totality of what it is, and you've mentioned some analytics behind this that are worth looking into. And then you got to look at the tape, and you got to see how it is in the run game. He's going to get paid an enormous amount of money, and, and Billy, I, I <laughs> good for him. But I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to probably be the highest edge contract in league history when it's given out, and at that point it'll reset the market. 
and then other guys will surpass that quickly. It, if, if it isn't, it'll be damn close. Um, and like I said, good for him. Uh, he's played hard, and he's in a good position now to do it, negotiation-wise. But, I mean, you're getting into fifth-year option territory now, and then the, the contract will need to be addressed. And they've apparently committed to doing that, unless they've got some other trade partner in mind in the offseason. So just be ready for that. I mean, and then now it's going to really become imperative that once he gets paid – not just to say, oh, he's getting money, you better put up sacks. No, your your share of the cap hit needs to translate to immense production. And if it doesn't, yep. then that's going to set this team back. Um, I totally agree. And I think we can have those discussions now, given what they turned down to keep him. So yep. that's going to be it for this episode. They do have a game this Sunday, or excuse me, Thursday, short week against the Atlanta Falcons. We'll probably do a recap show on Friday, depending on how things go. Um, but keep an eye out for that. And uh, just my own personal opinion, I think they will have a bounce back game. I think they will play well. Uh, I, I t- might even see them win this game. Um, you know, short week. Uh, the team they played very well a couple weeks ago. Falcons coming off a close loss uh, against the chargers uh but yeah i I think carolina is uh this is a good spot for them to rebound uh you don't have to dwell on the blowout for too many days uh you can really have a good response uh short week on thursday night football uh john any parting uh words from you yeah um i think you're right about this game it's a short week and sometimes that can be a great thing when you get your ass whooped like you did at cincinnati it's good to burn that tape Go back to what you're good at and get down to business. It's a division game. It's at home. Uh, best of luck to them. And then they travel to Baltimore, and then they host Denver, who has a great defense. That'll be a, another good test for this young offensive line. So it's the time of year where I'm starting to look at this from an evaluation perspective, and I'm, I'm glad for one thing about Coach Wilkes here, and I, I do respect him a lot, that he's made a concerted effort to feature some of these guys that Matt Rule would not, and Terrace Marshall being one of them. I want to continue to see him grow, make big plays. Uh, you're not seeing some guys that should have not been getting snaps are now not getting snaps. I like that. And maybe it's time to shake things up a little bit at linebacker. I'll just leave it at that. I think it's it's maybe Brandon Smith's season. Let's see what we got in this young guy because we know we're not playoff bound here. Although, <laughs> you're going to paid me. If they win and everybody else loses on Sunday, they're a game back. So welcome welcome to the NFC South, Billy. Yeah, we'll see. We'll yeah, keep an I, just eye hope, I just hope they play well and don't embarrass themselves. I mean, that was – you hate turning on the TV and it's halftime and it's 35 nothing, but I'm sure they'll they'll play better. That's not typical Panthers football, even for this regime right now. So, um, yeah, go Panthers. Hopefully they get one on Thursday. Thank you, everyone, for joining, and I'll talk to you guys shortly. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.